Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord Jesus, in this world we experience pain and sorrow, but you promise that our tears like seeds sown on the earth will bring a rich harvest of joy. Sustain us by this hope and keep us watchful for your coming, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 126, which is a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like dreamers. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the dry gulches of the Negev. Those who sow with weeping will reap with joyful shouts. The one who walks along weeping, carrying a bag of seed to sow, will come back again with joyful shouts, carrying his sheaves. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Pharisees thought they earned forgiveness by keeping God's law and the many other laws they had invented to guard God's law. And when they saw Jesus' disciples walking along on the Sabbath, there was already a problem. Because Pharisaical law only allowed you to walk like one mile on the Sabbath day. But then there's the other problem. The disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them between their hands, and then eating the grain as they got it. And they point out to Jesus they're violating the Sabbath. And Jesus' answer basically shows them they've missed the intent of the law. The Sabbath law, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, was meant for humans. God took a rest on the seventh day, but God is all-powerful. He doesn't need rest. He did that to set an example for us. And also, even in the time of Jesus, as, as God had established, on the Sabbath day, if you lived in Jerusalem, you would go to the temple and hear the word of God being preached to you. Or if you lived in a small town, one of those priests would come out to you and he would read the scriptures to you, often reciting them actually from memory. And of course, by Jesus' time, we have the synagogue where people would gather and there'd be somebody even to preach on one of the texts that they had read. So they'd miss the intent of the law. In fact, this is the same principle we apply to speeding, right? The speed limit in Casper is 30 unless otherwise posted. And if a policeman uh, catches you going above that, then he's going to give you a ticket. Unless, unless... You have somebody who's bleeding to death in your car and you are rushing to the hospital. It does not give you permission to run over children at play. You've got to drive with common sense. A policeman seeing that will pull you over and escort you to the hospital. So the intent of the law there is to save and protect life. And people, usually the law will overlook if you're rushing to get somebody to the hospital. This is why ambulance with all their sirens can break the law, right? Well, the Sabbath was the same thing. And Jesus points out when David is fleeing from Saul and the men who are with him are hungry, the showbread that God had said was for the priests, it was not the intent of the law to condemn life with that bread. And so as the exception, David and his men ate that bread because it's all the priest had in order to to preserve their lives while they were fleeing. It's the intent of the law. Now, our text today is, is not actually about the Sabbath, but the intent of the Sabbath is there. Our text literally begins when the Lord returned a restoration or a turning to Zion. And we translate that as fortunes 
Not just meaning physical fortunes, but spiritual fortunes. God has restored something. And the Sabbath is meant to rejuvenate our bodies with rest, but also our souls with rest in God's word. So our sermon theme for today is the Sabbath is rejuvenating. And we'll apply that to our text. So back to our first verse there. When the Lord returned a restoration of Zion, we were like dreamers. Now, Zion was the mountain which the temple was built upon. If you were an Old Testament believer, the temple was to remind you that God was among you because he said he would dwell there on the mercy seat, which was the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the holiest of holies. But it also reminded you of your unholiness because you came to the temple to make sacrifice for your sins and it was bloody. There was death. It was a reminder to you that animals dying in your place. And there was blood, blood that pointed to the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who in his presence would take on human flesh and come, and he would take away our sin. He would be our intercessor, our priest. He could enter the holiest of holies. So put yourself in the feet of a man like Daniel, who's been exiled, hauled off to Babylon, when you hear the terrible news that the temple has been destroyed. Would there still be true worship? Or imagine the many times in which unbelieving kings to buy off armies, invading armies, would strip the temple of its adornments that were used in worship of the Lord. Or think of a time, King Hezekiah, the Assyrians have come, they've conquered the northern kingdom, and they are encamped around Jerusalem. And if they're encamped around Jerusalem, guess what? There's no new sacrifices coming into the gates. People aren't coming in or going out. And God sends a problem for the Assyrians and they leave. They're not allowed to get that capital city and the worship is restored. Many times in Israel's history did they see the right worship restored to Zion. And of course, the many times the people of Jerusalem or Israel had chased after the false gods. So when the Lord returned to restoration of Zion means the Lord restored true Worship, that worship that involved all those messages and the proclamation of the word and everything, it's restored. And he said we were like dreamers. Well, if you were one of those people, a true believer clinging to the word of God and the temple's been destroyed or there's no sacrifices being made or the priests are unbelievers or people are chasing after false gods. It's like a nightmare to you because God is your life. How wonderful when God restores the true worship, when the gates are open and the sacrifices are made again. We can say the same for us. When you have the pure word of God and you know the right use of the lie exposing your sin and you know that the good news of salvation in Jesus, who is the true God in our presence among us, who is the sacrifice, who fulfills everything. Imagine suddenly if your church closes its doors. And you start church shopping and you hear that church that it doesn't even care about Jesus. It's busy telling you about social problems or that doesn't believe in original sin. So you don't see the need for a savior. Be like a nightmare ending when suddenly you could go back and worship with people where the word of God is held central and Christ is the centrality of that. So it can also be like a dream in a good way. Some dreams are pleasant and wonderful. And they remind us of wonderful things. Isn't it wonderful for you to come and worship the Lord? Wasn't it wonderful to hear your sins are forgiven? Isn't it wonderful to be rejuvenated in God? Never forget 
The greatest act of worship we give to God is to actually trust Him that He has forgiven our sins and that He is ruling it all over all creation for us so that even the things that seem bad and awful for us are for our good. Because it often seems the opposite. And so it truly is like a wonderful dream when we get to worship the Lord. Sometimes for our new man coming to church, it's like the week is over and I get to be rejuvenated. The nightmare of struggling against my sin, I get some rest and some reprieve. So the person says, then our mouths kept on being filled with laughter and our tongues with shout of joy. Do you feel that way during the sermon? Do you, do you afterwards want to go home and, and talk about what you've learned in Bible study? Or do you see it as, oh gosh, I hope the pastor's not as long-winded this Sunday as he was last Sunday. He says, man, these hymns, they're kind of boring. Oh, thank God, it's finally over, I can go home. Or do you see it as a wonderful, joyful rejuvenation? Let me answer for you, the answer usually is both. Because we have a sinful nature that hates the word of God and hates God. And we have a new man that lives because of God, is connected to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. So yes, we understand both the sinful nature of wanting to change worship, wanting to make worship its way, worshiping itself, worshiping entertainment, and the new man, worshiping God purely, saying, yes, Lord, you have saved me, I'm alive in you, thank you, you are recharging my spiritual battery as I worship you. He says in verse 2, then they kept on saying among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Imagine, like the Assyrians, when they were camped outside of Jerusalem so those sacrifices couldn't come in, when God, not military might, God creates a problem in the Assyrian Empire and they've got to book it back to Nineveh. The unbelieving nations would have to say that was their God. When God restores worship, that is His act. And when people see us trusting in Him, they see that He's the one who has saved us, then they have to admit God has done this. And then they confess in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are joyful. Isn't that the way you feel after receiving communion? We come knowing we're not worthy. We're about to receive the body and blood of the Lord. We walk away knowing we've received the body and blood of the Lord. We have worshipped Him. He has given us soul food. Our sins are forgiven. We live another day in God. Yes, we cannot help but to rejoice. The Sabbath day is rejuvenating. It rejuvenates us with true worship. Verse 4 is the center part of this psalm, and it actually is a prayer. Restore our fortunes, or again, return a restoration of us, O Lord, like the dry gulches of the Negev. That was in the southern part of the region of Judah. We in Wyoming don't have to try our imaginations too hard. We've had pretty good rain. It's spring and, and the grass is green and it's green outside. But with rare exceptions, by August, we'll drive down our highways and it will be brown out there. And you won't want people to be warning people, don't throw cigarette butts out the car window. You can start grass fires and forest fires. That was the Negev. Dry creek beds would one with water in the winter rains came and it would come alive and be green like it is here in Wyoming. And then during the dry season, ugh, fires and danger and brownness. Asking the Lord to bring those waters back. And, and we cannot help but to picture the waters of God's word. Like Psalm 1 says, those who are planted in the word of the Lord are like a tree planted next to a stream because it's always getting water. It bears fruit in season and it is good. 
The prayer here really is, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Don't starve us from your word. His word that shows us our sin. His word that tells us our sins are forgiven. His word that makes promises to you. And yes, his word makes an ultimate promise that you will get the new heavens, the new earth, a glorified body, eternity in God's presence. But a lot of people, they say, ah, religion is just a fairy tale you tell people when they die so that they can handle it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's word reminds you of more than just what's going to happen when you die. God's word reminds you every day because lots of times it doesn't seem like God is there caring for you. We bear crosses. It reminds you every day that God is using those for your good. It reminds you that God is keeping his promises. It restores you and keeps you alive and assures you you are Jesus's little lamb. Sabbath is rejuvenating. We come together and, and, we're reju and God is rejuvenating us with his word. And it's not just that we gather together on Sunday for Bible study and worship. No, we get rejuvenated with his word whenever we take three minutes to spend a little bit of time in meditations or whatever devotion we have chosen. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Sabbath is rejuvenating, rejuvenating with true worship and rejuvenating us with his word. The Sabbath on Saturday was meant for the Israelites. There was a spiritual principle behind it. The Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ and Luther got that spiritual principle. So when he wrote the, the small catechism, he in, in his explanation for the commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, says, we should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching or his word, but gladly hear, learn and obey it. And we don't just gladly do it because we have to. We gladly do it because it's rejuvenating us, keeping us spiritually alive, strengthening our faith, assuring us that God is taking care of us. But Psalm ends, it seems like on a sad note. Verse five and six, it says, those who sow with tears keep on reaping with a shout of joy. He who regularly goes out weeping is carrying a bag of seed. He regularly comes in with a shout of joy is carrying his sheaves. There's a beautiful word picture here in the Hebrew poetry. See, Luther oftentimes in commenting on the psalm says at first it seems like God is against us. Jesus told his disciples, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross. There's a lot of sorrow in this life, isn't there? Pain and misery and turmoil. And that comes in persecution. And there's things you and I suffer as believers that unbelievers suffer, but they don't have the extra hardship that comes with it. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Lord, why? I've been faithful and, and now I'm told I got this bad disease. I'm not ready to go yet, Lord. I've got family I love. Lord, why the financial crosses? Why the financial burdens? Why the pains and the misery? Why the poundings with the snow when my car four-wheel drive is broken? We could go on and on. There are lots of sorrows in this life. But the picture here is you're going out with those sorrows. You're sowing something. And we forget what sheaves are. After the wheat had grown and they cut it down, they bundled it together. And those bundles or sheaves, they came back with bundles. And they would deposit them at the threshing floor where, where they could be turned into the wheat that was needed. Bundles. God here is telling you your hardships, your toils and your labors that leave you crying and miserable. You're sowing something and you're going to come back with bundles of fruit because of it. Sometimes those hardships and miseries, they're not even for us. They're for our neighbor. 
Again, in persecution, when the Roman government was persecuting the Christians, this became God's great evangelism tool. They saw Christians, look at the mouths of lions. Look as they're being lit up like torches. They saw the peace they had. And others said, there's got to be something to this God. Those Christians, they went to heaven, but they were sowing and harvesting a field of more believers. Sometimes the way we deal with hardships Reminds our neighbor because they see, man, they have a trust in God. I panic and I fall apart. And this person says, I don't get it, but God's working for me and I'll trust in him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the history of Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. If you just look at our membership book, it is energy boom and energy bust. It is reaching out and people coming in and then they get jobs and they move. You have struggled. You have really labored just to exist in this community. We might not know all of the fruit that will, God has born from that until we're in heaven. Or maybe he's got something else in mind. But don't kid yourself. God gives us a rest. He rejuvenates our toils with a joyful harvest. It may not be the harvest we thought we were sowing, but he is promising you Hang in there with your toils and labors. You're going to come back in. You've sown in tears, but you're going to come back in sowing with joy. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, today's psalm is really about the Lord restoring true worship through his word and hardships and everything. But we can apply that to the overall theme of the Sabbath rest and see the Sabbath is rejuvenating, rejuvenating us with true worship, not the worship of our sinful nature, the ways of this world. True worship, knowing we are saved and trusting it. And that means rejuvenating us with his word that assures us of our forgiveness, of our salvation, that God is ruling for us and working for us even when we have toils. And so therefore it rejuvenates our toils with a joyful harvest. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.